Morning, church. Oh, that sounded loud. <laughs> Made me jump. <clears throat> Big thank you to Dr. Hurd and the choir and to the worship band. <clears throat> so, uh, as David said, we're continuing our series in John. And so today we've arrived at John chapter 11, and we're going to start reading at verse 17. So John chapter 11 and verse 17, and as David had indicated, and as David uh, covered so wonderfully last week when he was preaching on the previous passage, uh, Jesus, uh, Lazarus, is sick, and his sisters Mary and Martha have sent for Jesus. And in verse 17 of John chapter 11, we read these words. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, My brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe that? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity to gather together in your house. And we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be present with us this morning to open our minds, Lord, that we can understand your word. We pray, Lord, that you will draw each one of us to you through your word this morning. In your precious name, amen. 
Well, as David said last week when he was preaching on the previous part, the previous passage, the story of Lazarus takes up quite a big piece of the Bible. There's a long narrative here that takes you through the whole story. And so when uh, this series was put together, it was decided that this story would be split into three pieces. And, uh, and so we'd look at it on three different Sundays. And David, last week, if you remember, he said that he'd been talking to his dad and said he was preaching on Lazarus. And his dad had said, oh, well, you have those two great statements where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then when he said, Lazarus, come forth. And David said, he had to say to his dad, yeah, but neither of those verses are in the passage I'm looking at. Because David was looking at the beginning of the story, which is where uh, Lazarus is sick, and they've, they've sent, Martha and Mary, his sisters, have sent for Jesus to come because they've said Lazarus is sick. So David titled last week, you know, the waiting room, God's waiting room, because it was all about them waiting for, God to, for Jesus to intervene, waiting for an answer to prayer, waiting for Jesus to come and, and, and heal their brother. Well, I get the center section today I do get one of those, those, those statements, I am the resurrection and the life, um, but it's left to uh, whoever speaks next week to sort of come in, you like the cavalry with the wonderful actual resurrection of Lazarus and, and Lazarus come forth. And while I, was, while I was studying this and trying to think about what to, what to share with you today, and also very conscious of the noon Thursday deadline when you have to get the title of your sermon to Heather, uh, and I was really struggling with it to come up with a title because, I mean, let's face it, in this center section, this passage that I've read today, everything goes wrong. I mean, in human terms, we'd say it all goes pear-shaped. There's really nothing exciting or fun that happens in this passage. The previous week, we looked at how they were waiting for Jesus to come and heal Lazarus. This passage that we've read today, Jesus does come, but he's too late, and Lazarus is dead. And so, you know, a bunch of different titles went through my head, you know, when hope fails, when everything goes wrong, all of these titles, I think, well, I can't possibly use one of those, because if anybody reads this on Thursday, they're going to think, oh, I'm not coming, I don't think I'm going to come on Sunday. This looks really, uh, it's not going to be a fun sermon. So I went with, is God in control? Because I think the only way we can understand this passage is if we look at it from the perspective of the different people who are involved in it. Perspective, as a a very, very simple example of what I mean by this, if you stood, if you'd not been to this church before and you came in that door and stood there and sketched what you saw, you would sketch a church, but you, do, you would not include a clock, because there isn't a clock. But if you came to this church for the first time and stood here and sketched the church, you'd put that great big clock, because it's very noticeable. So both people are right. One would say there's no clock, one would say yes, there is a clock. It depends on your perspective. It depends upon the position from which you view the events that are taking place. And the important thing for us is that our perception is our reality. 
And so we need, we need to bear that in mind when we try and understand what it, God is trying to teach us in this passage. Because really, it begins with the fact, if you look at this initially from the perspective of, Ma- of Mary and Martha, Jesus had failed them. Did he really just say that in church? From the perspective of Mary and Martha, Jesus had failed them. We're told quite clearly in John chapter 11 and verse 3, the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And then John chapter 11 verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So let's understand that from their perspective, the perspective of Mary and Martha who were trying to cope with these events. Jesus had failed them. They had, a, they had, a, they had an urgent problem. Their brother was sick. They reached out to Jesus and then Jesus failed them from their perspective because he didn't come and Lazarus was not healed and Lazarus died. So as they, as Jesus approached the village on that day, from their perspective, he had failed to deliver what they wanted, hoped and expected him to deliver. And sometimes we pray for things and we don't get the answer that we want. And sometimes we might experience a similar feeling that, you know, God hasn't answered my prayer. That must have been what Mary and Martha were thinking. And in fact, that is underlined because when Jesus did arrive, and again, we can't sugarcoat this, when Jesus did arrive, they blamed him for what had happened. And again, this is really clear in the passage. It says, in fact, the passage goes out of its way to explain to us that each of the sisters separately and individually blamed Jesus for what had happened. Because Martha goes out to meet Jesus, and the first thing she says to him is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Oops. (laughs) Do Do you know what? That is so apposite that that should happen right now. Let me explain. What I was about to say was it's in our DNA as people to always want to find somebody to blame when things go wrong. You know, years and years ago, I was working for a company that did soccer uniforms for for professional soccer teams. And we had a contract to supply the equivalent of a Premier League team. It was a very prestigious contract. And in those days, and still now, you used to redesign the uniform every couple of years so that people would have to go and buy the new one. It's a very cynical business. And so you'd try and make it exciting with all kinds of new designs. So we launched this really clever design. Anyway, the first time the team played in the new uniform, they played terribly badly and they lost 3-0. And after the game, the head coach made a beeline for me, and he said, that's the last time we wear that uniform. Like, it was my fault. <laughs> they played really badly and lost 3-0, but hey, it's my fault because of the uniform. We have to. When things go wrong, we always look, don't we, for somebody to blame. And sometimes it's justified. I mean, Stephanie and I have been married for 37 years, 
You know, if we go to a store or a restaurant or somebody's house uh, and she hears a crash or something breaking, her default reaction is to spin to find me because <laughs> the chances are I've knocked something over, as I very nearly did just there. <laughs> Who put that microphone there? Come on. That's what we do. I could have gone backwards over that microphone, and rather than accept my own clumsiness, I'd have wanted to know who put it there, because that's a silly place to put a microphone. But it's our natural reaction as human beings. We want to blame somebody. And this is what Martha, it's what Martha and Mary did. They'd sent for Jesus. Jesus came, but he didn't come straight away. And by the time he arrived, Lazarus was dead. And so that's the first thing they said to him when he got there. They blamed him. And this is tough. There are people here today who are going through really, really, really difficult stuff. Who are going through tough times. And it's so easy, given our human nature and our perspective of being involved in the pain or the difficulty or the anxiety, to look to blame somebody. And often we'll blame God, why did you let this happen, God? Why, I don't deserve this. Why didn't you answer my prayer? You see it all through the Old Testament and the history of the Israelites. You know, they, God takes them out of Egypt, and as soon as they've left Egypt and they're joyful and, and, and full of praise, they get to the waters of the Red Sea, and then the Egyptian army are behind them. And straight away, they blame Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? They want to instantly blame Moses, who is God's agent, God's servant, who's, who's delivered them from, from the slavery of Egypt. But they quickly want to blame somebody because of their perspective. They're in the middle of what's happening, and it's horrible, and it's not good, and so somebody has to be blamed. And sometimes when we're going through a tough time, we'll blame God. And that manifests itself because we don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to church and sing a hymn when I've got such, when the, all these things are happening. I don't want to pray. I don't want to pick my Bible up. So they blame Jesus. But you see, because of their perspective, involved in the pain, they didn't understand that from God's perspective, it was very different. They didn't understand the sovereignty of God. And we can see that very clearly because they both said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But there had already been plenty of evidence in Jesus' ministry that he did not need to be physically present in order for his power to have an effect on somebody's life. There'd been three occasions. There was a Syrophoenician woman. Her daughter was sick. She came to Christ. He told her she's healed. And although the daughter wasn't there, the Bible said she was healed. It happened with a centurion servant, exactly the same thing. Jesus said the word, even though he wasn't there, the servant was healed. It happened with the son of the Capernaum official. Again, Jesus said the word to the official, and his son who was at home was healed. Jesus didn't need to be physically there. But that was an easy human factor to blame. You see, the truth is, that sometimes 
sometimes, because of God's overall plan, he can't answer the specific prayer in the way we want him to. He just can't do that because he's looking at a bigger picture. We see this. You see this with Paul. Paul wrote that he had a... Paul had some kind of physical disability. We don't know what it was. People have speculated. I think it may have been something to do with his eyesight, but that's just my my opinion. But he writes in, in 2 Corinthians that three times he said it was a thorn in his flesh sent by Satan. Three times he pleaded with God to take it away from him. But God didn't. And then Paul went on to say... He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul accepted that he was going to have to deal with this and put up with it. And in fact, he, he, he turned it into something that he could, he could praise God for. Because the weaker he was, the more he needed to rely on God. And lastly, on this point, nobody who's ever walked the earth understood this more than Jesus himself. You know, the night that he was taken in the garden, it says he, he sweat great drops of blood. And it says in Luke 22, he withdrew a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. What cup? His death, his beating, his whipping, his crucifixion. Lord, please take that from me. Don't make me go through it. Yet, not my will, but yours. And Jesus accepted he had to go through that. But when he prayed, he prayed in desperation that God would come up with another way, that he wouldn't have to go through what he had to go through. But he accepted it was God's will It was God's plan. There was a bigger picture. And so we had to go through it. And that's all we can hang on to when we are in a time of difficulty and anxiety and fear and worry and depression. But here's the thing. We're nearly nearly done. Here's the thing. Jesus loved them as they went through their trial. It says there, in the passage we read, as he saw Mary and Martha and all the people there weeping, it says that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. This is the Most High God! was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Why? Because, not because of what was happening, but because of what they were going through. He had such compassion for them as they struggled through this trial. He couldn't take the trial away from them, but he could love them through that trial. And his compassion was such that he wept. Jesus wept, and nothing makes me more angry than the fact that those two words, which are at the core of Christianity, the compassion of Christ, have been taken and used in the world as a blasphemous exclamation. Jesus wept because he loved them, and because he 
He had compassion for the pain they were going through. And that's the message for you this morning. If you are going through something tough this week, God loves you. He might not be able to take this particular circumstance away in the way you'd like him to because of his perspective and what his plan might be, but he loves you. Don't think for one second that because you're going through this, he doesn't love you, because he does. He loved them through their trial. Others dismissed him. They said, wow, you know, if you'd have thought if he could heal the blind man, he could have done this. That's the other kind of noise that will come in if you're going through a time of difficulty. Get rid of that noise. Hang on to the fact that God loves you, knows where you are, and he's loving you through whatever you're going through. And here's the last thing. And if your eyebrows shot up when I said Jesus failed them, from their point of view, how about this? Jesus was glad this happened. Surely not. Jesus was glad this happened. It says so. Go back a few verses to the passage immediately before chapter 17, when Jesus was talking to the disciples about going back to Bethany because Lazarus was sick. And Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. He knew that. He told the disciples that. Do you know what he said next? He said, for your sakes, the disciples, for your sakes, I'm glad this happened. What happened? That Lazarus died. How could Jesus have been glad that Lazarus had died? This is the great paradox that lies in the center of the interaction of our humanity and God's will intervening in our day-to-day -day lives. Because God knew what was going to happen. And Jesus said to the disciples, I'm not glad because Lazarus is dead. I'm glad this is happening. Why? For you. I'm glad it's happening for you because then you are going to believe. In other words, this, this time of difficulty and pain and suffering was a teaching experience. It was a time for people to learn. And it wasn't just for Mary and Martha. Jesus said it was for the disciples because they were going to witness it. And it was for all the mourners and hangers-on and all the mockers who were there. It was for them as well. Because do you think they would ever have forgotten this? No. And guess what else? It prepared them for the reality of the resurrection. So when Jesus died and rose again, guess what? They'd already seen it happen. This happened in order to teach and educate and strengthen belief. We need to understand when we're going through a time of difficulty, don't just look at it from our perspective. Try, try, and take a step back and imagine it from God's perspective and God's plan. And ultimately, whether Jesus had called a, a, a resurrected Lazarus that day or not, he was going to be resurrected one day, like we all will be, we just need to understand sometimes that if we're going through a tough time, if life has taken us down a path we would prefer not to have gone down, don't blame God. Don't turn on God. Don't stay away with God, from God. That's when you need to 
fold yourself more deeply into the church and fellow Christians. Understand that God loves you and he's going to love you through this trial. And understand that he has a plan for your life. And this is an opportunity for you to learn, for you to be an example to others, for others to learn, and for the belief of believers to be strengthened. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much because you love us so much. Lord, sometimes we do go through difficult times that are difficult for us to understand. I just pray, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who is going through a difficult time, you will draw near to them in a wonderful way. Bless them in a wonderful way. Cover them with your precious blood. Be to them everything that they need. And Lord, help each one of us, Lord, to go from here in the knowledge that you love us deeply and compassionately. In your precious and worthy name. Amen.